Well, I usually in our prior years have had not had a Sunday night theme. I've usually over these past few years have kept the themes to uh, Sunday morning. Uh, and Sunday morning's theme is our journey with Jesus and following Jesus. And we'll be spending so much of our time in the Gospel of Matthew with that uh, target in mind. Um, but I wanted to have a theme this year on, on Sunday night that I'm just simply calling Return uh, rebuild and renew. And uh, I feel like we need this after what we've gone through over now the past two years and need to hit a reset button of sorts and start again and finding our, our, our footing uh, and using our faith to begin again uh, an important work that, that God has given us, uh, not only in terms of our worship, but also in terms of reaching out and doing the work in the kingdom and so much of what this year is this year is going to be about for Sunday night is is looking at how we can do that and spending time, uh, not only the heart that we would need for that, but also some of the things that we can consider in doing the work. Uh, and that's why I think the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are going to be very valuable for us as our uh, launch points for 2022 on Sunday night, because you, you find them in a similar circumstance of feeling like you've lost everything. All that you had had figured was going to happen has all been eradicated and now you are being called to start over. Uh, and, and how they approach that and how God uh, gives that picture, I think, is going to be very helpful for us. Uh, in going forward with the work. So with Sunday morning with uh, uh, talking about our building of our faith in who Jesus is and then coming back Sunday night and talking about how we can practice that faith will hopefully work out uh, in a great tandem. One of the things that I think is an amazing picture that God repeatedly gives to us about himself in the scriptures is that we serve a God who will make a way for his people. And he makes a way for his people, even when circumstances appear to be impossibly dark. God is going to do something about that. And we're going to get to talk more about that in this lesson. And one of the things that I think is fascinating about where we are on our, in our Sunday morning study and where we are now in our Sunday evening study is you are going to see parallel lines between the pictures of Jesus' arrival and what he's come to do. And what God is doing for Israel in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as you have this restarting and trying to offer hope in dark and in difficult times. You might remember in a way where we've left off in our, our studies that when you've come to the end of First and Second Kings or to the end of First and Second Chronicles... The circumstances seem to be impossibly dark. You have the people who have been condemned by God because of their sins. And it's no mere condemnation, but God simply saying, uh, I'm not going to be able to have this, this covenant with you anymore. Imagery given by the prophets of his presence, leaving the temple, leaving Jerusalem, leaving Israel. And God is now turning his people over to judgment. The Babylonian Empire arises over three invasions. They come in, they take people off the land. And when you come to 586 B.C., the temple is destroyed. Its significance is hard for us to even grasp. 
except just to say, God's not there anymore. God is not with these people. And they have now been removed from the land and are living in a foreign land, hundreds of miles away, captives in a place called Babylon. And at that moment, I think you would have a big question that would be hanging over the people of Israel and ultimately the promises of God. How can God ever be with his people if they refuse to obey his word, continually defile the promised land, and were taken off of that land for their disobedience? If the whole goal of scriptures is God wants to be with his people, and we have now proven over the hundreds of years of history that the people are not going to respond to the covenant and are not going to be obedient and are not going to be a holy people before a holy God such that God has to take them away. So how's God going to do this? How's God going to be with his people? How is this all going to work? And that's where the book of Ezra begins to, to step in. And we're going to begin and just read the first seven verses then of Ezra chapter one. Ezra one and verse one. <laughs> In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide, with silver, provide them with silver and gold with goods and livestock and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about the heart to restart as you now see a sequence beginning as God now is restarting this plan to be with his people. It is easy to read this first verse and see with Cyrus and, and kind of think that, well, here we have a Gentile king, king of Persia, who just kind of randomly decided one day that, you know what, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and let the people of Israel go back to their land and let them go back and go to Jerusalem and let them build a temple. And I want us to notice that verse 1 makes it very clear when it says that the Lord stirred the heart of Cyrus. You have God now in motion, and now it is time for a restart to happen. And the very first words that are given here is that in order to fulfill the word that was spoken by the Lord in Jeremiah, notice it doesn't just say, and Cyrus made a proclamation, but the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. 
which is already giving us a picture about God being in control. It's funny, we just sang a song where the chorus line speaks about he holds the future. I know he holds the future, that, that song we just did. And that's what's being portrayed here, is that here is a moment where you have the people in the darkest of times. You are separated from the land. You are living in a foreign land. The temple is destroyed. You cannot worship God. It's severed. The relationship is severed from God. And yet now suddenly we have God at work. And God is accomplishing his will and doing his work even in the times that seem hopeless. It is so fascinating that the prophets spoke and said, this is exactly how these things were going to go. You notice verse 1 says, this was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah said in, in chapter 20, verses 10 through 14, that after 70 years, the people were going to return to the land. And Isaiah, amazingly, twice in chapter 44 and chapter 45, names the king who's going to do it and says, Cyrus is going to be my servant who's going to accomplish my will and cause this to take place. And so God clearly in control of the events that are taking place so that God's will can be accomplished and so that God's people will have the opportunity to return. And you will notice that even Cyrus himself observes this in verse two. Here's what Cyrus, the king of Persia, said. <clears throat> the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. You might remember that Nebuchadnezzar, as the Babylonian king, originally had that concept and then had to, a prophecy laid against him that was, you're going to eat grass in the backyard of the palace until you understand that it is the Lord who gives the power of these kingdoms into your hand. Here is Cyrus understanding that. He issues the proclamation and understanding that God is the one who has given me these kingdoms into my hand. At that time, Persia is the world empire. It is around 539 BC. Babylon has been dispatched of. Persia rules the world at that time. And here is Cyrus saying, one of my orders of business is uh, that the Lord has given me this opportunity and this charge to uh, cause them to build the temple for the Lord. Notice the rest of verse two. He has appointed me, charged me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, to see God at work in the darkest of times in this moment. And one of the things that I want us to catch in this is that God likes to do this. It doesn't take much thinking in the scriptures to see that it is in the darkest of times that God's hand starts moving the most. You can imagine like with Abraham who is being told, I want you to go up to this mountain. I want you to offer your only son. From a human perspective, this is a very terrible thing in a hopeless situation. And yet God is going to make a way. And you might remember that Abraham had the faith and even said that. When Isaac asks, where's the offering? The Lord will provide the sacrifice. There was an understanding that God is going to make a way somehow. The writer of Hebrews even under, pointed out and said, Abraham thought, well, he just raised him from the dead. 
Because he knows that God is going to make a way even in the darkness. How about Moses? The similar situation. The people of Israel are enslaved. It looks hopeless. And when Moses first attempts to try to relieve them and rescue them, they reject him. Give it some time when it's on God's time. Sends Moses back. Leads them out in a great way. Or even what we're already observing in the life of Jesus. It looks like Herod is going to be successful And he is going to kill the anointed one. God's going to make a way. There is always this emphasis that God is going to make a way in the darkness as this key reminder. The darkness is not in control. Sometimes we start thinking the darkness is in control. And we get afraid and we worry and we complain and we oh no and we panic. And God is trying to always show us the darkness is never in control. The darkness is not in control. Now, it looks like it. It always looks like it. Here are the people and here are God's people in Babylonian captivity. And you wouldn't think a turnover of empires is going to be a positive. You've now flipped over from Babylonian citizenship to Persian citizenship. And yet, this is the way God's going to rescue. The darkness is not in control. God is in control. And here to hear Cyrus, his very mouth, saying the very words that God has charged me with the task to be able to send the people back so that they may build this temple to their God. And notice even in verse 4, amazing imagery that's given here as well when it says, I want them to go back and any of the people's Where the survivors may now be living, other people are to provide for them silver and gold and goods and livestock and free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So I'm going to send the people back. I'm going to send the Jews back, but I'm not going to send them back empty handed. I want all the people of my kingdom. If you know these survivors You need to give them gold or silver and animals and livestock and offerings. You need to give them those things so that they can go back and build a temple and worship God. Do you see the imagery of the Exodus coming out? You remember that when the people left Egypt, you had the Egyptians saying, here, take our stuff and get out of here. We just want you to go here. Take my gold, take the animals. That's why they leave and it says that they plundered Egypt and why they have so much as they go on their way. You have an imagery of Cyrus letting the people go like Pharaoh let the people go and the surrounding peoples of that nation supporting them with all of their wealth and saying, here is our stuff. You go and you go worship your God. And so now God is bringing all this about. But I want you to catch something really startling. Did you see it in verse 7? In verse 7, we're told that Cyrus is able to go in, apparently to the old house that was given to the Babylonian God. And there are all the articles of the temple When it was captured and destroyed in 586 B.C. We have to be astounded by that. Be astounded that one. 
When the Babylonians went in and they captured all of the articles of the temple and the gold and the wealth and all that was there, that they just didn't take it back, strip it apart and use it as wealth that they could then use for buying, trading, whatever they want to do, building. They could just use that. Not only did the Babylonian king not do that for 60 years, God then preserved it even so that when the Persians came in and overran the Babylonians, that stuff still wasn't destroyed. And it still wasn't captured and melted down and used for anything else. Here is Cyrus going, oh, by the way, all that stuff that you had in Solomon's temple, here you go. You you go ahead and take it on back. You are seeing again God in control. The amazing power of God on display through seemingly normal, insignificant, non-miraculous events. God's moving the pieces and now says, I want you to go back with everything. I want you to take the wealth of the land and the articles of the temple and I want you to go back. And did you notice the emphasis in the reading that we that we looked at the, the, this evening in these in these first seven verses? Why is all of this so important? Notice in verse two. The Lord of the King, the God of heaven has given all the kingdoms of the earth to me and he has appointed me to build the temple of the Lord. Look at verse three. That the proclamation states for the people to go back to Jerusalem and do what? Build a temple for the Lord. Verse 4. Here are the gifts that are to be given to the people so they can go and build a temple for the Lord. Verse 5. The people prepare to go up and build a temple for the Lord. Verse 7. Here are the articles that belong to the temple of the Lord. It is amazing. The emphasis is all about... The temple of the Lord. You need to go back and build this temple. Why is that so significant? For a number of reasons. Obviously, the temple has a representation of relationship with his people. It's one of the great things that you have is with the temple in existence, it is God in the midst of his people. And I want you to imagine hearing the words that God is saying I want the place where I come to meet my people back intact. I want that location back where God meets his people, where there is relationship with his people, where there's the worship of his people to him and where blessings can come to his people. I want that location put back, which is stunning Because you might think, oh, well, now the people have learned their lesson and they're doing really good now, right? If you go read Daniel's prophecy and he recognizes the 70 years have about expired. And he offers up a prayer to God. And the essence of the prayer is we're not any better. (laughs) We we haven't changed a bit. (laughs) I, I know the 70 years have about come just as your prophet Jeremiah said. But it's not like there's been this great heart revival for God to act. And yet God does it anyway, because that's how much God wants to be in relationship with his people. It's almost the imagery that these 60 years are now just too much. And I need to have the place where I can be in their midst again. So send them back so that God can be in the midst of his people again. 
So God here is stirring up the heart of Cyrus. And I want you to consider what is told to us here in verse 5, because verse 5 tells us who's willing to do this. Verse 4 is the call, or verse 3 and 4 are the call, to go back and build the temple. And verse 5, preparations are now being made to go back to this. But we need to understand what these people are going to have to do. Because for Cyrus to say to the people, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and build a temple to your God is not a glamorous calling. And it's not an easy calling. And it's not a comfortable calling at all. Please think about, it has been about 60 years. The people who would be in Babylon would have been in the second invasion, 587. And we're now sitting at 539. So about 60 years have have transpired. These people have not lived there for 60 years. You're talking about to people like, okay, the people, we haven't been there since 1960. Long time ago. Which means most of the people you are talking to have never lived there. Most of these people have never lived there. They have been born and raised and have their jobs and their families in Babylon. And all they know about Jerusalem are the stories that have been told to them over the past 60 years. They'd just be recalling what was told to them about the way things were over 60 years ago. And so one, they don't have a personal connection to this, most of them. It's just been what they've been told. We're going to read, there's going to be a few who are old enough who saw the things of the prior time, but consider the majority are not. Not only that, they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And what is the condition of Jerusalem right now? Rubble. You're not moving back to farms and jobs and houses and anything glamorous. What you are ultimately doing is moving back to a reclamation project. There are no homes. There are no fields. There is no food. There, there's nothing. And the temple lies in ruins. The city is in ruins. Everything has been completely wiped out. By the way, it's not like you get in your car and just drive over to Jerusalem. It is a, a difficult, treacherous, minimum four-month journey to go from the Babylonian air area and go up the Fertile Crescent and come down to Jerusalem. What you are calling for these people to do is leave their established life and totally start over. And to start over with nothing. You're going to walk in and, I don't know, it's going to be like Survivor. Start from the very beginning with nothing. You've got your resources, but it's just dirt. Everything's broken down. Nothing to work with. You don't get to just walk in and go, okay, I'm going to stay at the Motel 6 because they left a light on for me and I'm just going to relax here and every night's going to be comfortable and we'll go out there and we'll start building. You're nothing. It's gone. That's what the call is. Which I think is important to consider because the big question would be, who would want to go back to that? There is nothing positive about the call. 
Is it going to be wonderful to go there? No. Is it going to be easy to go there? No. Anything waiting for you when you're there? No. Uh, you're, you're leaving everything you know behind. Notice verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved. We saw God move the heart of Cyrus. And now the text wants to make clear God is moving the hearts of the people. And I want us to think about what that potentially looks like. What would that look like exactly? What, is the, what are we talking about with this? By the way, it is, it is fairly interesting that all of chapter 2, and I am not reading chapter 2 with obvious reason as you can scan through that and stumble over everybody's name that's there. But chapter 2 contains the names of all the brave people who would leave it all behind. And go back to Jerusalem and restart. And what is interesting to me is you will notice that you are told in chapter 2 and verse 64 that the whole number of people who are going is 42,360. That's not a lot. It's not a lot. Not a whole lot of people when you think about what Israel used to be. But you have some who are going to be willing to make the sacrifice, a remnant who are willing to come back. And it says they are the ones whose heart God had moved. Well, there's two ways to think about that. How is it that God moved their hearts, stirred them up to do this work? Well, option one is God selected just a few people and just blindfoldedly said, I think you should go, and I think you should go, but not you, not you, not you, but you and you and you. Possible. But it doesn't seem to be the flow of the book because the flow of the book is going to speak about how later on Ezra and Nehemiah had a zeal for the Lord that led them to go and do the work. So the question has to be asked, how did God stir up these people to do the work. And I submit to you these ones that God knew, got to catch that up, that God knew who would be willing to have this heart. How would we know who that is? I think this all comes from what happens in these first four verses. Cyrus makes a proclamation. And the proclamation, it says, is put into writing and it goes throughout all of the kingdom. And the proclamation simply says, Any of his people can go back to Jerusalem and build the temple of the Lord and may their God be with them. I submit to you that the way God stirred up the hearts of the people to go rebuild was through the decree. Who would hear this good news and decide that's what I want to do? 
I'm willing to sacrifice everything that I know, everything that I have, uproot everything, and I want to go back to Jerusalem. Not because there's anything particular in Jerusalem, not because there's houses, not because there's jobs, not because there's fields and food and any of that. There would be only one reason to go back. Because the temple project represents God's restoration with his people and they want that. And who is going to be energized by the knowledge that God wants to be with his people again? As Cyrus puts a decree throughout all the kingdom and says, you can go back and worship your God again. I'll give you the supplies. I'll give you what you need. But you're going to have to make the difficult journey. And you're going to have to make the sacrifice. And you're going to have to give up a lot. But it's an opportunity to be in relationship with God and worship God. Now, who wants to do it? I believe that's the indication of what it means for God stirring up the heart of the people is simply the proclaiming of good news that God has come back to be with his people. And who are the ones that will be stirred up to do that? 42,360. Here are the names of those who are given, who are willing to do that. Here, God knows the ones who are willing to do that. I think it is amazing to see the 42,360 people who are willing to do that. God goes, let me put their name right here and right here and right here. And this person did, and this person did. And what we do in our Bible reading plans is we go, uh, next page, you know. But God cared. And God knew who was willing to make the sacrifice. Who was willing to leave it all behind? Who was willing to do the work with the only expectation that, hey, we can build a temple to God and God will be with his people again. I want you to notice something else about them before we come to our application. These people are so excited to return that we are told in verse 68 that they come back to the land. They're in Jerusalem. They arrive there and they want to do a free will offering. Verse 69 tells us that According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work. And we are given these numbers that we talk about many times when you're trying to put into modern terminology what wealth looked like, particularly when you're in the Old Testament. It is really difficult to, to be able to calculate. But scholars observe this, that this amount of gold that is here would be approximately 1,100 Pounds of gold. And guessed about that would be 6,300 pounds of silver. Wow. You could almost say they gave a ton. I mean, unbelievable. The offering that they made. Because they are so zealous for the work that lies before them. All right, what's the point? Let's get to the point then. I I think it is so amazing as we look at these events. Because 
the events in Ezra with the, the, the building of the temple, the return of the people and God with his people are all all pointers about what God was going to ultimately do. What you already have in Ezra 1 is God appointing his king with all authority on earth to be able to call all people to come and to build him a house whose spirit is moved by God. And God is going to make that possible by, by opening the doors and setting the people free so that they will no longer be enslaved, but they will be free to worship. Does it sound familiar? It is an amazing image of what is happening in Ezra is going to happen all over again with Christ, where you're going to have God send his appointed king who has authority over heaven and earth, who's going to call for all to return to him and belong to him and be part of his house, whosoever spirit God has stirred up. And it's going to be made possible through his son so that people can come and worship him. The Matthew Ezra lines are in parallel and Ezra is foreshadowing this great reality by showing God is going to set his people free and he's going to put them back in their rightful place, restore the relationship with the people, build a house so that God can be with his people and worship will restart for anyone who wants to do it. And I think that's the big question, the big point about this proclamation is that just as you see in Ezra is the same thing that Jesus is talking about is that the conditions of coming back to him are very much the same. Is the journey going to be easy? No. Is it going to be comfortable? No. Uh, Is it going to require sacrifice? Yes, it is. Are all the people going to be favorable to you as you make your journey and try to go worship God and restart this? You're going to see in Ezra repeatedly, no, no, and and no. It is going to be loss, sacrifice, difficulty, hard work, giving up an awful lot. So why would anybody do that? Because the offer is you get to worship God. Because God is saying in Ezra 1, I'm coming back down and I'm going to put my temple among my people again. And anyone who is willing to make the sacrifice can come and worship me. And I think the picture is valuable to see that there's few that will make the sacrifice, take the journey, endure the difficult path and restart the work. But God wrote down the names of those who did. And my question for us this evening is really what about us? Are we willing to have a heart to restart? I don't think anybody would disagree to say that the last two years have been hard. It's been unexpected. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a challenge at every angle. And it's easy to look and go, my faith has been changed. Perhaps your faith has weakened. Perhaps you've experienced great loss and great difficulty. Perhaps the zeal and the fire has gone down. 
perhaps we've adopted a new mentality of, well, we just shouldn't be talking to people anymore. We're going to be in stay away mode and everybody, you know, can't be around each other. I think it's important to ask ourselves if we're ready for a new beginning and if we're ready for a restart. We're ready to start afresh to do the work that God has called us to do with the purpose that he has given us to do. And the question will be, whose heart will respond to the Lord's call to return to the work that God has called us to do? And I want to leave one reminder before we wrap it up. We began with this idea that even when circumstances appear impossibly dark, God makes a way for his people. Even when circumstances appear impossibly dark, God always makes a way for his people. We're going to talk more in this series about the things that we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah about what it looks like to respond to the call. But Ezra 1 and 2 just begins with a simple question. Who has the heart to restart? Who wants to pick back up and start over and forget the failures of the past and the difficulties of the past and start pressing on to the work that lies ahead? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you know for us in our way that we look at life, in our way that we look at the world, that these two years have been a staggering challenge. So much has happened globally that has forever changed the way we think about life and the way we look at other humans. And Lord, it's our prayer that in the midst of all that we have gone through and all that we may continue to go through, that you'll help us remember our purpose and help us to remember the work that needs to be done. Lord, help us to remember that souls still need to be saved. And Lord, that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the willingness to sacrifice for your work and for your cause. Lord, we want our names written down in the book of life. And Lord, we are encouraged to see that you know every single one that belongs to you. And Lord, I pray that would be a strengthening for our faith. That you know our hearts, Lord, and you know our desire, and you see our fruit. And stir us up, Lord to the work that lies ahead. Lord, help us to shine like never before in this community. Help us to reach out to those who are in our spheres of influence like never before. And help us to do the work that lies ahead. Lord, we pray for your blessing as we strive to do that. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to send more and more people to hear your word and to be stirred by your message so that they could be saved. We pray this through your son. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song now, and we invite you to come to Jesus and to consider where you are in your walk with God and your opportunity for this year.
We often like to use the turn of the calendar as a motivation for change. Things are going to be different this year. We believed that when 2021 started, right? It's going to be so much better and so much different. Well, maybe not. (laughs) But one thing we can do is put our finger and go, what can we do better for God? How can this year be a year that we can look back upon and be grateful for what God has done, as well as put in the effort and the work that God has given us to the task. We encourage you to think about how you're going to do that this year. Can we help you in any way to come to Jesus? Won't you come and do that now while we stand, while we sing?